Warning. Some listeners may find the following content highly disturbing and controversial. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of my fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was provided by DisclaimerTemplate.com. Fair Use Notice This channel may make use of copyrighted material, the use of which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This constitutes a fair use of any such copyrighted material as provided for in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. In accordance with Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107, the material on this channel is offered uh, is offered publicly and without profit to the public users of the internet for comment and nonprofit educational and informational purposes. Copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarships, and research. Fair use is a use permitted. No copyrights is or claimed. The content is broadcast for study, research, and educational purposes. The broadcaster gains no profit from broadcasted content, so it falls under fair use guidelines, www.copyright.gov. And we'll be right back. All right, my lovely, loyal listeners. Today is Sunday, September 12th, 2021. And on today's episode of Just Miss Rose, we are going to be running down the white supremacist lane. Yes, I had a little verbal altercation earlier today with a fellow TikToker. And instead of addressing me, she decided to address one of my brother kings. So I'm feeling some type of way. So I just did a TikTok uh, with this introduction of, not well, not this inter- part of the introduction, but the article that, we're, that I'm going to be reading, I read it on TikTok. So give me a minute, settle down, get you some pop or Kool-Aid or whatever, and I'm going to put a trigger warning on this, and I'm going to put a listener warning on it as well. But I love you for listening. And if the shoe don't fit, don't worry about it. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on a website called Melody. 
wait a minute, melanoidnation.org. And the article is entitled, Eight Ways to Identify White Supremacist Behavior. It was written June 2nd, 2015. According to the great Neely Fuller Jr., we as melanoid people must take our regular interactions with members of the dominant society very seriously. In fact, he even explains that we should assume that every member of the dominant society is a racist, especially if they display the ability to practice racism slash white supremacy. For many in black society, however, the very topic of white supremacy can befuddle them. The very mention of the term white supremacy has been such a hot button issue as of late and is starting to become used in a more contextual term as opposed to it just being limited to labeling particular white extremist terrorist groups over the years. Because of the record because of the recent inundation of the term white supremacy and those who live by it, it is only fitting that the good brothers and sisters in black society who might be unclear be informed on ways that your co-worker, neighbor, and even your significant other could possibly be a white supremacist. Number one. Do people in the dominant society seem exceptionally thrilled by seeing black people in subservient positions? Have you ever witnessed black people working in job sectors such as retail or the hospitality industry who have developed an almost family-like connection with the white customers and patrons who frequent the places where these black people work? Those white customers very well could have privately celebrated the deaths of innocent black people's murders at the hands of police, but get all warm and tingly inside around gentlemen such as Mr. Willie, who makes their shopping experiences just a little more pleasant. On that note, I wonder if they'd feel the same way about Mr. Willie, if he was the founder and CEO of a retail giant such as Walmart. Number two. Oops. Number two. Are members of the dominant society overly nostalgic? Listen to people, particularly the older members of the dominant society, And you'll hear much talk of how things were much better back in the old days of this country. This type of talk is brought up consistently among these people. And considering our roles as oppressed people in this country over the past several hundred years, we have to ask ourselves exactly what do these old folks mean by the good old days? Number three. Are your white associates uneasy around serious-minded black men? Are you labeled as being surly or aloof by your white colleagues in various settings when you're the only black man in your immediate vicinity? Black men, 
much like the first example, are often accepted by members of the dominant society as long as they say and do things that reinforce the preconceived stereotypes that have been slapped with, they have been slapped with by white supremacists. People in the dominant society have long feared the concept of the angry black man and the uncompromising masculinity that this image exudes. So that went so they went so wait a minute. So they want to make sure that the brothers remain in a happy go lucky state. This example rings true whenever you're approached by members of the dominant society with questions such as, what's wrong? Why are you so angry? Number four, do your white friends go above and beyond to to remind you of how exceptional you are? This instance often involves many younger melanoid people, especially as they advance through college and into the working world. Have you been repeatedly told about how much of a great person you are? The The implications of their excessive praise reeks of a contrived effort to refrain to let you know that you're not like the combative blacks they saw on those reality television shows. Number five, have you encountered that member of the dominant society who regularly indulges in race baiting? If you are familiar with any member of the dominant society who reminds you of the white female school teacher on Everybody Hates Chris, then you're quite familiar with who a race baiter might be. This person has a fixation with using race as the topic for seemingly every topic that's brought up. These individuals often happen to bring up race as a means of provoking emotion from their black co-workers, business partners, students, and buddies. Number six, non-blacks who openly express their exclusive sexual cravings for blacks. This is a taboo issue in itself because it combines the hot button topic of race along with the risque topic of human sexuality. When a member outside of black society specifically proclaims their sexual desires for melanoid men and women, this should pose a cause as this should pose as cause for concern, given the fact that slumming has been historically practiced by white supremacists since the days of slave owners stealing their slaves' wives from them. So, the next time someone from the dominant society rants and raves about the sexual prowess of black people and how they want you because of it, ask yourself this. Are they genuinely in love with your blackness and the experience that comes with it? Or are they just in love with the cocoa just to get their fix? Number seven. Do non-blacks use spirituality to entice you to take down your guard? Perhaps the most deceptive item on this list, white religious figures, especially those in the dominant Christian faith here in the States, 
have resorted to spirituality and religion countless times to convincing melanated people that God sees no color. We're all going to the same heaven in the afterlife. And that because of sin, millions of innocent Africans were enslaved and robbed of their culture. Watch out for those types because buying into their rhetoric could have you confused and disappointed once they transform from Joel Osteen to this godly couple as seen in this video, which we are not going to hyperlink to. Number eight. Do the whites apply the two is company, threes a crowd principle when dealing with blacks? You and your crew are peacefully conversing and minding your own business. When someone of the dominant society takes liberties to invite themselves into your group's dialogue, such an act may follow with the standard yet still tactless, what are you folks up to? Or, I just wanted to see why I wasn't invited to this party we have over here. Of course, this wouldn't be an act of racism slash white supremacy, would it? The suspected white supremacist in question may feel that they're being harmless in their gesture to get acquainted with a group of black folks across the street who are minding their business. But so did the authors of Louisiana's Code Noir of 1724, Article 8. After all, they're just making sure you folks don't cause any trouble. As African people in this society, our interactions with people of the dominant society is inevitable. The eight ways listed above aim to serve as thought-provoking heads up on disrespectful behavior from white supremacists and those who are suspected white supremacists. And this article was by B. Clerk, and we will be right back after this brief pause. I love you for listening. It's time for Dictionary Definition of the Day. Today's dictionary definition word of the day is befuddled. It's an adjective and it means unable to think clearly, confused, or perplexed. Right now, Miss Rose is befuddled. And we will be right back after this brief pause for the cause. I love you for listening. All right, my lovely, loyal listeners, we are back. And now we are on a website called Blavity.com. And this says, this is an opinion. And it says, how to spot a fake ally on social media. Everybody ain't real. And I'm not talking about bots. By JB, September 11th, 2019 at 1.39 p.m. Now, there's a photograph here. And it says, 
white woman holding a Black Lives Matter sign, photo credit, Kenna Betancourt, AFP Getty Images. This piece was submitted from a member of our enthusiastic community of readers. If you're interested in sharing your opinion on any culture, political, or personal topic, create an account here and check out our How to Post to Learn More. An OG once said, If you have 10 friends, three of them will support you, three will not, and four of them will be indifferent. Oftentimes we ask ourselves, why hasn't anyone supported me? Why haven't they supported my business? Why don't they care? You know you have allies, but the perception of an ally isn't gospel. So, instead of playing the game of likes, shares, and comments, let's get to the point. Who's faking and who's not? The following is two ways to spot a fake ally on social media. Number one, pandering for recognition. People pander. They use movements and trendy topics to manipulate your emotions. However, they don't care. They hide behind the screens to like, share, and comment to maintain friendships and political clout. Like presidential candidates, they'll say anything in front of crowds to gain votes, but switch positions in front of others or maintain the status quo when power is bestowed upon them. They're pandering for recognition. Why? Because they understand that pandering to your needs will strengthen relationships and position themselves to reap all the benefits. It's not enough for someone to fawn your emotions. Anybody can do that. But will a nobody provide consistent action? Maybe. But I would consider someone with deliberate action to be an ally instead of an inactive virtual panderer. True allies provide action. When thinking about a potential fake ally, ask yourself, when is the last time y'all spoke? Now, here's the difficult question. Are you a fake ally to someone else? Number two. Using outrageous culture. You, you, wait a minute. Number two. Using outrage culture as currency. It seems like everyone is competing for outrage. Groups are fighting over who's the most marginalized and oppressed. Fake allies will pimp your outrage for opportunities. They'll pretend to be equally as outraged and find a way to monetize it, gain significance, or expand influence. Businesses, corporations, and leaders may use your outrage for donations, retweets, and followers. Allies value your relationships more than an opportunity. Goodwilled people want to fulfill their purpose, and most of the time, they don't want anything in return. People who use your outrage for personal gain are fake allies. Yes, it may be hard to find, but discernment is key. Life exists away from the screens. However, in our digital age, social media has proven itself to be a strong conduit for change. Movements are born online. 
Black culture flexes its power online. Ask Popeyes. If we want to be the change we believe in, then we must recognize real virtual allies versus those who are pandering to our needs and monetizing from our outrage. All right, you guys. And that is the end of that article. And we want to thank JB on blavitynews.com. I mean, blavity.com for this lovely opinion, how to spot a fake ally on social media. And we will be right back after this brief pause. All right, you guys, we have fallen down the rabbit hole. We are on a website called blackyouthproject.com. And this article is entitled Black KK Klansmen Continue the Tradition of Letting White Women Off the Hook by Contributors. This was written August 17th. 2018 by Josie Pickens. It's a lost moment to detail the true ideals and behaviors of white women who were a part of clan culture. Josie Pickens. Most black folks of a certain age who slowly crept towards adulthood in the 90s have a soft spot for writer, director, producer, and actor, Spike Lee. I needed Lee's movies and his contemporary representation of black life. The film, She's Gotta Have It, aided me in understanding who I was becoming as a sexual being. School days made me want to attend an HBCU and was my first taste as a first-generation college student of what college life might be like for me. I think Malcolm X is as close to perfect as any film could hope to be, from its perfectly tailored and themed costumes to its immaculate acting to its seemingly flawless set design. It was, in my opinion, owed several Oscar wins and Crooklyn. Crooklyn is a special kind of love song to black girls. There's also Do the Right Thing and Mo Better Blues, and his documentary works Little Girls, and When the Levees Broke. I feel comfortable in saying that Spike Lee is one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. But just because I love and appreciate many of Spike Lee's films, that does not also mean that he is above side eye or critique. Because she hate me, the Sweet Blood of Jesus, and even the controversial Chirac all left me asking, um, WTF? Plus, the filmmaker's portrayal of black women in most of his films, even the ones I enjoy, can be especially sexist and problematic. So basically, I didn't know what the hell I was walking into when I bought tickets to see Spike Lee's latest release, Black Klansman, a true story of a black police officer, Ron Stallworth, who went undercover to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan over the phone. 
Although there were the usual spike moments in Black Klansmen, and I kept looking around the theater trying to catch white viewers laughing at certain moments in the film they shouldn't have been, I enjoyed the film. I liked that Ron Stallworth's story reminded viewers that there were and are many police organizations working to survey, infiltrate, and disrupt black movements. I was happy with Laura Harrier's performance as Patricia Dumas, the leader of the local college's Black Student Union. John David Washington was a treat to watch, too. My movie buddy and I went back and forth commenting on his Denzel moments. For the most part, I found Black Klansmen interesting enough and entertaining. But, while there was an obvious effort in Black Klansmen to show how gutless, how odious, and how inhumane white men committed to white supremacy and white power can be, I found the portrayal of white women who were and continue to be just as vicious and as terrible as white men, leaving much to be desired. If we are attempting to tell a true story about the straight-up terrorism inflicted upon mostly black people through the Ku Klux Klan, then why are we continuing to paint a picture of white women serving mostly as their husband's helpmates instead of their partners in crime and terrorizing black lives? To me, the character Connie Kendrickson, wife of Klansman Felix Kendrickson, was presented as a white woman capable of spewing hate towards black people, but who did so mostly as a sign of loyalty to her husband and other white men. The character didn't seem invested in her own words and actions. Connie was a puppet who mostly wanted to be a supportive housewife, you know, serve a homemade cheese dip at the clans meeting held in their home and be coaxed into planning a bomb aimed at killing a black woman activist all for the love of her family. One could argue that Spike Lee was commenting through satire on how silly white women can be through her character. But really, don't we always characterize white women as silly or aloof or naive or or obedient and passive in most films produced in Hollywood and in real life too. The characterization of Connie Kendrickson and even the other white women in the film is a lost moment to detail the true ideas and behaviors of white women who were a part of Klan culture. Regarding the roles of white women in the Klan in her piece, no, no, Talking about women's roles in white supremacy is not blaming women, Lauren Smith writes. Despite the persuasiveness of sexism a century ago and the outside role of men in the KKK, women in the 1920s Klan had power. This wasn't soft power. Women didn't merely sew Klan robes or bake casseroles for Klan picnics. They wielded actual power that shaped the societies in which they lived. Though they were staunch defenders of traditional domesticity, they were also active in social welfare movements and local and state politics. Under the leadership of Daisy Douglas Barr and several other women, they formed their own autonomous arm of the KKK, the half million strong WKKK, which lobbied for the creation of racist racist immigration quotas, segregation, and anti-miscegenation laws. Well, we know what the word of the day is going to be. 
In other words, white women established their own branch of the Klan and used their new voting rights to push legislation that would create and perpetrate harm towards anyone not white and Protestant. They called it a social welfare agenda. I would have liked to see acknowledgement of this in the Black Klansmen, where the women of the Klan met without men present to discuss their hatred for non-white folks and where they also discussed their independent plans to ruin the lives of black people, especially since we know such meetings took place. This is the perfect time in this moment when we acknowledge that white women were responsible for electing Trump and when they are calling the police on black people for literally being alive. It is the opportune time to continue acknowledging, even through the avenue of entertainment, that white women are just as capable of harming black people as white men are and that they have been and continue to be soldiers against the rising tide of color. Josie Pickens is a professor, cultural critic, writer, and jurat. Follow her on Twitter and oh, follow her on Twitter at Joe Nubian. Okay. Contributors. The Black Youth Project is a platform that highlights the voices and ideas of black millennials. Through knowledge, voice, and action, we work to empower and uplift the lived experiences of young black Americans today. And that, you guys, is going to be the conclusion of this episode, this Sunday episode of Just Miss Rose. Now, remember, don't let anybody take you off your square. And don't let no damn racist get on your nerves. And if you are a Caucasian person, talk to your racist counterparts. They're making life a living hell. Okay? So, now remember, other people's opinion on you is none of your business. I want you to stay strong. Stay in your square. Remember, you are the only you that there is. There ain't man other you, and you're doing a damn good job of doing you. Happy Sunday. I love you for listening.